And welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart right here on TalkingAlternative.com. Thank you all for tuning in today. And uh, today I'm excited. I have on a great guest. We've got a great show in store for you. Um, My guest today is a physical therapist and a professor at Long Island University Brooklyn campus, Marshall Hagens. And he has a really interesting background, is doing a lot of great research. So we're going to get into some of that, uh, some of his research today, because it's very extensive. But um, Marshall's first professional life was actually as a dancer. He attended North Carolina School for the Arts as a ballet major before moving to New York, where he danced both on and off Broadway. Leaving dance, he got his B.S. in physical therapy and later as a master's and Ph.D. in biomechanics and ergonomics, all from NYU. And he recently earned a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from the University of St. Augustine in 2007. And in addition to teaching orthopedic content at LIU, he is also a senior clinical research associate at the Harkness Center for Dance Injuries, the owner of a small uh, private practice, Brooklyn Arts Physical Therapy, which is housed in the Mark Morris Dance Group Center. And over the years, he's worked with members of the New York City Ballet, American Ballet Theater, the Merce Cunningham Dance Company, toured internationally as company physical therapist with the White Oak Dance Project, which is led by uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov. And he is currently the physical therapist for the Mark Morris Dance Group. He has published in the areas of dance medicine, sports injuries, ergonomics, and uh, alternative medicine, or yoga. And his previous research focused on breath control relative to lifting mechanics. And right now, he's his current research, and we're going to talk more about that today, uh, the effects of yoga on blood pressure. And he's also working with the Harkness Center for Dance Injuries and the Nicholas Institute of Sports Medicine on a study examining how landing mechanics differ between dancers and athletes. And perhaps we'll, that's, I think, a whole other show. So, Marshall, uh, welcome. Hello. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, I think I would love to talk. I mean, there's your your research is so extensive, and you're doing so much great stuff, but I think it would take like three or four shows to sort of cover it all. And I think maybe we'll have Evangelos on, and we'll do a, uh, we'll talk about your joint research with him and all the, uh, the uh, landing mechanics and things like that. So maybe in the future. Yeah, that sounds fine. So, um, so let's talk about, now like I said, you're, you've, your more current research is really on the effects of yoga and blood pressure and things like that. But let's sort of take a step back to, you know, when you kind of started f- being more focused with your research. And like we said, a lot of it is on yoga and your previous on breath control. So why, why is this your field of interest of, of you know, all the things within the, the world of physical therapy? What was it about this that really got your attention? I don't know. I think I think originally the idea of breath was just simply understudied. When you think about breath relative to the mechanics of lifting, um, I think what I found was that everyone knew that when you lifted in the trunk, you went to a trunk of a car and you lifted something out, people held their breath for a little moment. Mm-hmm. And there were some some realities out there that were true about how people breathe relative to lifting that wasn't explored, but everyone had this sense that it was true. Uh, when I was going through the program, the ergonomics and biomechanics program, it was just, I'm not sure precisely why it stuck out to me, but I, I was intrigued by it. I also like the idea that the breath is both a conscious act and an involuntary act. You know, you don't think about it, it just happens. You think sure. about it, you can control it. There's something very fascinating about that. So you can actually consciously control your breath during lifting your other tasks or not to, and it simply happens. Mm-hmm. Hello? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. You're still there. Oh, good. Okay. Sorry. I thought a lot. Every, all of a sudden, everything got really, really quiet. I was like, Oh yeah, no! Yeah. Please no, say you're gonna drop. Okay. Great. And now, what about yoga? I mean, you know, yoga is obviously always been a pretty popular form of exercise, but I feel like in the last maybe 10 years or so, it's just really exploded. I don't know if that's just in the New York City area or if it's all over the country, all over the world, but, you know, why study sort of the effects of yoga? Well, I think you're absolutely right. It has exploded. It's, I'm not sure about worldwide. I know in the United States, there's about 15 million people who say they have done yoga in their lifetime and about 7 million who say they do it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And these numbers are, are rising dramatically. Of course, here in New York, where we are, uh, you know, there's a yoga studio in every corner. So it's hard to get a, a sense of things. But across the country, it's really becoming uh, a very popular thing. And as you know, alternative medicine in general is becoming popular. So mm-hmm. it's kind of riding on the wave of that. Mm-hmm. So certainly very popular. Um, you know, I think most, most people are doing research, or, you know, people get involved for, for different reasons. I started doing yoga about 15 years ago. Uh, it was a way to get out of dance, something a little less competitive, but something physical. Mm-hmm. And I just enjoyed it and loved it and then began to see the uh, changes on my own body and perhaps even more importantly, the changes in, in the way I viewed the world and uh, my, the way I used my mind. And so consequently, I started thinking, well, instead of thinking about life so mechanically with my other research, why not, why not look at something that, uh, you know, has a profound effect on people that's understudied? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's why I started looking at yoga. And, you know, let's sort of talk, let, we'll sort of start our yoga talk now, and it'll spill over, I'm sure, into the next segments. But let's start very basic, okay? So let's start with the question, what is yoga? Because I know a lot of people, you know, I have some people who think yoga is, oh, it's just meditation. And other people think, well, it's just like the, the fancy sort of more tricky stuff, like standing on your head or doing these really crazy poses, which is kind of what you see displayed in the media, are people doing these crazy poses. And, and so I know I get patients who come in to see me who've been injured in a yoga class, you right. know. And so let's kind of take a step back and first talk about what is yoga, well, the reality is there's no one governing body that's going to tell you, well, this is yoga and that's mm-hmm. not yoga. You know, it's, it's an ancient tradition, a few thousand years old, uh, primarily from India. It's a Hindu philosophy uh, rather than a religion. Uh, it was popularized, uh, you know, really in the uh, early part of the 20th century, late part of the 19th century, and sort of melded and, and blended to some degree with Swedish gymnastics and Danish gymnastics, believe it or not. Uh, and the popular form that we see practiced in America uh, is much more physical. In the physical part, the physical postures are hatha yoga. Okay. Uh, and so it's a little different animal than what it came out of. Originally, yoga was aimed really at the mind, mastery and control of the mind. It was probably aimed at, uh, as one of the as one of the uh, books, uh, Pandanjali's Yoga Sutras say, uh, to reduce the fluctuations of the mind. That was mm. the point of yoga. So when you say, what is yoga? You know, so people say, well, it's to yoke the mind, to harness the mind, to control the mind. Um, is the primary goal and the purpose of yoga. And these other practices, such as physical postures and breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. at least initially, historically, were sort of uh, uh, secondary uh, along the route to that ultimate goal. In the West, we've taken, as you said, and you see in the media, you know, people uh, turning over backwards and doing strange postures. It's what you see portrayed and laughed at in the media. It's all focused on the hatha yoga, the physical postures. 
Um, but primarily, yoga is designed to reduce the fluctuations of the mind. It's primarily a meditative practice. Mm-hmm. And that's what its goal is. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, like I said, I get patients coming in who have injured themselves in yoga class. Right. And, and I think that that's not uncommon by any means. Um, so, no. So as a physical therapist, you know, I personally have done yoga here and there, but I'm not like a regular practicing yogi. So as a physical therapist or as someone who's seeing these injuries come in, you know, and, you know, you do both, you do yoga, you are a PT. When, if you have these injuries come in, do you say, well, just stop doing all of it? Like what, you know, because I know it's sort of like, it's, it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough thing to see when your patients come in. And so how do you... How do you deal with that? Yeah, well, I guess I, I guess I would handle it the way you would do anything. If someone come in and say, you know, I was exercising some generic vague term they may use. I was doing aerobic. I went to an aerobics exercise class and I got injured. You know, what would your response be there? I think your response would be, well, precisely what were you doing? Mm-hmm. How? What's the frequency and duration? Were you a novice and did you warm up? Did you, you know, yeah. what kind of, what's the credentials of your teacher? You know, was the class individualized to you? Was the teacher watching out for you and changing things? So I think the approach with yoga is no different than the approach for the physical therapist would have with anyone, which is, well, let's have a conversation about this. Let's mm-hmm. get some specifics. There's really no evidence that yoga hurts people any more uh, at any higher rates of risk than anything else. There's been a lot of play in the media lately. Uh, there was a, a William Broad did a book about yoga, and he's, he's been doing the talk on circuit, the talk circuit mm-hmm. about how dangerous yoga is. Right. And certainly, yoga can be dangerous. Uh, not unlike basketball or football. You want to compare it to football? Well, I can almost guarantee you yeah. it's less dangerous than football. Yeah. So I guess to really get to the heart of your question, as a physical therapist, when people come in, you know, I, I want to know if they know which particular pose mm-hmm. injured them, or mm-hmm. was it more generic? I want to know, did they just start out? You know, maybe they could do a Does their class allow them to do what we call modified postures? Mm-hmm. You know, so you try, just as a physical therapist, you would try to determine which motion directions, which actions are, are irritating to the tissues, and then lead them through a process, if they really want to continue yoga, of how they can avo- avoid postures that do that particular thing. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, you know, I think another thing that, you know, I hear a lot from from patients who have gone to yoga is, well, you know, I'm watching what the teacher is doing or I'm watching the person next to me and, you know, they try and kind of compete or push themselves into these positions that maybe they just can't do yet. Yeah, you make a great point. I, I think, you know, coming from the dancer background that I did, you know, I was, uh, there's a lot of competition in the dance world and actually mm. making the perfect form, at least in uh, many forms of dance as I was in, like in ballet, mm-hmm. getting the perfect form is important. You're striving for that. You're looking around the room. It's competitive. The first yoga class I went into, and I think this is one of the reasons I sort of fell in love with it, the teacher said, we are not here to compete with each other. We are not. Let that go. And to me, that was so wonderful because mm-hmm. then I could just be in my body, do things that I needed to do for me without the competition. So you're exactly right. I think one of the first things we need to do is be clear with our patients that it's not a competition, that it, everybody's on a continuum and they really should not force. In fact, one of the one of the uh, principles of yoga is called ahimsa, which is, means mm-hmm. do no harm. Mm-hmm. And 
so if you have people coming in who are studying yoga, you just mention ahimsa. If they know about it, you know, they should not do harm to themselves or others. And doing harm to yourself is easy in yoga if you're not mindful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, kind of telling your patients to sort of be more mindful of their poses, listen to their body, and get out of that sort of competition mindset. That's exactly right. Probably goes a long way for, for even injury prevention. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever had patients come to you and say, I'm thinking about starting a yoga program. Do you ever get that? Do you ever get people coming to you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Say, I'm thinking of starting it. They haven't even done it yet. And you can sort of evaluate them and tell them, give them some guidance before they even start. Yeah, I think the guidance I I typically give is that they should start, make sure they start with a beginning class. Make sure they go to the teacher and speak to the teacher before they start the class and let them know, this is my first yoga class, Mm -hmm. or these are my first few yoga classes, Um, you know, if you see any difficulties I have or that I need to modify postures, please, you know, help me with that, that sort of thing. Right. So just making sure that you're up front when you go in just to avoid any potential injury or any, you know, just so that everyone is kind of on the same page. That's exactly right. Yeah. And there are different forms of yoga. So the selection of the kind of yoga you you do may may also yes. be important. Um Iyengar yoga starts very slow. The postures are very precise. They put a great deal of emphasis on doing things correctly. Uh-huh. So if you have someone who uh, has, say, low back pain, excuse me, or something like that, that might be a good kind of yoga to start. There are other forms of yoga that are more aggressive. You wouldn't want to go do a power yoga as your first uh, thing. As you may evolve up to that, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, and, you know, I'd like to even talk a little bit more about the different types of yoga. We're going to take a quick break, but in the next section, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the different types and talk more about your research into yoga and what you have found as far as its effects on our body. So everybody stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you confused about which diet is right for you? Are you tired of being tired? How about improving your energy, strength, and appearance? Hi, I'm Rika Keck, a holistic nutrition and wellness consultant. If you have answered yes to any of my questions, contact me now at nyintegratedhealth.com or at 646-285-8588. Initiate change and transform your life. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving Communications. That's the answer. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? 
Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Dr. Marshall Hagens. He is a physical therapist and a professor at Long Island University at Brooklyn campus in their physical therapy department. And again, if anyone has any questions for myself or for Marshall, you can call in at 877-480-4120, toll free. So, you know, we're, we sort of started our discussion on yoga in the last segment, and we kind of ended, in, and Marshall had said, you know, there's a lot of different types of yoga, and so how do you know, you know, which, which yoga may be right for you, or which may be, if you're just starting out, something a little bit on the easier side. So, so Marshall, you had mentioned Iyengar yoga would be something that might be a good thing to start out with. Um, yeah, that's right. And but you know, then there's like Bikram and Hatha Yoga and Kundalini Yoga and Power Yoga, and you know, depending on where you live in New York, we obviously have all of that. Like you said, one on every corner, you know. But in other parts of the country, they probably don't have that luxury. Right. Well. Um you know, Hatha yoga is a more generic term. Hatha yoga just means physical yoga. Okay. It means it's not meditation, it's not breathing. Those things will, of course, probably occur in that class, but okay. Hatha is a generic term for physical yoga. Okay. Uh, vinyasa is also a relatively generic term. That is to say it's not associated with a single lineage of yoga. Okay. Uh, vinyasa just means you're connecting the breath and the movement in a flowing pattern. So vinyasa tends to be something that happens together. So, for example, in Iyengar, when you first begin to learn it, they don't even really teach you much about breathing in the beginning. They're just getting those postures right. But mm-hmm. in vinyasa, they believe and teach from the beginning that you're going to link these two things together. So that, those are generic. If, if you're just starting out and you want something that's fairly simple, Iyengar is great. Again, as we said, it's specific. And mm-hmm. particularly if you have a pre-existing injury, I think it's a good choice. Another great choice is Vini Yoga. Vinny yoga is often done more one-on-one, although they have some group classes, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. It's focused on the breath, and it's really focused on the individual. So they modify the yoga very much based on where you are at that moment. So Vinny yoga is also an excellent choice okay. in the beginning. The other thing is that if you're someone who's thinking about yoga because you're stressed out uh-huh. in this busy world and you want, or maybe you have some aches and pains or postural problems and you want to ease yourself into yoga, many places offer restorative yoga, which is, a, again, a generic term. It's not associated with the lineage, but restorative yoga is just what it sounds like. It helps restore you to more of a, a balanced place. Mm-hmm. And in, in this kind of yoga, you typically spend a few minutes getting yourself into a position that's a, this lovely, expansive position of rest, which is often supported by pillows or bolsters, and you simply lie there and breathe, or you may do some breathing exercises as led by the teacher. But people who do this kind of thing, they're putting their bodies in 
uh, novel positions and relaxing into those positions, mm-hmm. often the body kind of opens up in ways that are unexpected with very little effort. It's just that you're challenging the body very gently in these novel positions. See, now so that, 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 that sounds good. <laughs> I like that. I like the sort of just relaxing part. Right, um, right. Now, what about kundalini yoga? I see a lot of that, you know, up on like Facebook and in, in the press and things like that. So what, what is the difference between kundalini yoga and some of these other yogas? If well, you know. first thing I'd like to say is I'm, I'm not particular, although I do research on yoga, I'm not a yoga yeah. expert. Yeah. So those who know so much more than me are, are feel free, would, you know, feel free to correct me on yeah. this. But my understanding, and I have taken some kundalini classes, uh-huh. kundalini, cla- kundalini is focused on the breath. So often in kundalini what you'll do is you'll have a very prolonged uh, posture, which may be moving or not, in which you're doing a breath exercise. It's often okay. a very... Uh, some, very forceful exercise, like a, uh-huh. and you'll be doing that for a minute or two oh, minutes okay. or five minutes, and um, so it really calls upon you for focus, you know, your concentration, but also there are chemical things that begin to happen in the blood when you blow off that much carbon dioxide. Sure. Uh, you can get a little loopy, but it's, yeah. um, it's, it is, in fact, as they suggest, my experience was, it was very cleansing. You feel vitalized, very vitalized at the end of class. Okay. And now, so now let's take this and kind of roll it into the research that you're doing. Um, like you said, your primary current research is kind of on the, the effects of yoga on blood pressure. So what have you found? And, and how, like, how are your, how are your, how is your research set up? And, and what is it you're hoping to achieve with the research? Well, actually, blood pressure is probably the single most commonly studied thing relative to yoga. It's been studied in lots of different studies. The problem, and the reason I did my studies and hope to do more studies, is Mm -hmm. that most of these studies were not very well done. That is to say, they had small sample sizes. Mm -hmm. They did not have a control group to really compare anything to. They didn't randomize the people. Um, They didn't blind the observers for the outcome measures. You know, very fundamental scientific things that sort of mm-hmm. decrease your confidence in the outcome. That mm. being said, um, uh, actually, I'm, I'm trying to, I just recently completed a meta-analysis in the process of getting it published. If you look across all the existing controlled studies of the effects of yoga on blood pressure, it probably decreases blood pressure two to three millimeters of mercury of systolic, mm-hmm. which is good but not fabulous. However, if you take out the studies that use all three of the primary practices of yoga, which is breath control, meditation, and the physical postures, mm-hmm. um, this, this study that I did is suggesting that uh, then you're getting around 7 to 9 millimeters of systolic uh, reduction. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of existing studies. Almost all of them are positive in suggesting that the, the methodology is poor. When you select the ones that have uh, the three primary practices of yoga all in the intervention, however, the effect of yoga is, is pretty good on blood pressure. And, you know, is this research geared so if someone, let's say, suffers from high blood pressure, that yoga may be a good exercise for them, a good alternative for them as far as their exercise is concerned, um, instead of a cardiovascular exercise or instead of, do you know what I mean? Or yeah, is it in I, addition I I to? I mean, I, I did a study, actually, one of the studies I did got a lot of play for a short period of time there was we compared, if you did an ashta, a type of uh, yoga called ashtanga, mm-hmm. and we measured the oxygen that was used during the 
during that, and we compared it to walking on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. What we found was for this beginning level Ashtanga class, you didn't use a lot of oxygen. You used about like if you were walking at four miles per hour on the treadmill. So most yoga classes, and uh, you know, this is my personal belief, I think this class we studied is pretty much like most, for most yoga classes, you're not really getting into the aerobic range. Mm-hmm. So you're not training the aerobic system cardiovascularly. So that's probably not the mechanism that yoga uses to lower blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're comparing the two, certainly uh, aerobic exercise is a good thing to do. If you want to do aerobic exercise to lower your blood pressure, it's a fine thing to do. Mm-hmm. However, yoga is probably going to give you the equivalent amount of blood pressure reduction, but without having to um, really exert yourself in that particular way. You still mm-hmm. have to exert yourself, but not in that particular mm-hmm. breathy sweaty kind of way. Right, right. So, you know, this may be, and in, in your study, what sort of poses were they doing? Like, would, would someone who, let's say maybe they can't walk on the treadmill, maybe they have some sort of a pain or an ailment where they can't get that, that exercise in that way, would they be able to use yoga as an alternative, um, it, you know, depending on what type of poses they were doing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I think, like we were mentioning earlier, if the poses were modified to prevent pain, mm-hmm. which should always be done, mm-hmm. there's probably a whole world of poses that, that even a person who has back pain can do and still benefit from. Remember, we don't really understand the mechanisms by which yoga reduces uh, blood pressure. And, and also remember the autonomic nervous system, which is in charge of your, your heart rate and mm-hmm. how strong it's contracting, the frequency contracting, and also the diameter of the vessels, which is all involved in your blood pressure, mm-hmm. is probably the effects on the autonomic nervous system is probably the way that yoga mm. uh, changes things. So it may mm-hmm. be that even if you do a select handful of poses, but approach it in the right way, mm-hmm. using breath, having some meditation component, and this in itself will probably lower your blood pressure without having to venture into those areas that, that really hurt you. Right. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, is this also something that maybe one can do? I don't want to say implant. I mean, if you need to take medication for blood pressure, you need to take medication for your blood pressure. But can this be something that can be incorporated to perhaps maybe not take such a high dosage or something? You know, I, I, and well, obviously exactly it's, right. it's... No, that's exactly right. I mean, it kind of depends on, you know, the way this current staging is, is done. Like, if you're above uh, 139, you know, it becomes much more serious. But if mm-hmm. you're in that, what they are now terming pre-hypertension, where your systolic is uh, up to 100, uh, 139, then you're... Then, Certainly, lifestyle changes. This is in the science world, in the in the cardiology world. This mm-hmm. is called a lifestyle change, uh, equivalent to, for example, reducing salt in your diet, mm-hmm. uh, doing exercise, or doing yoga. These are legitimate way things you can try in the beginning before you have to take drugs. Uh, that I think most doctors would say, yeah, go for it. If you're mm-hmm. prehypertensive, try those lifestyle changes first, so you don't mm-hmm. have to be on medication. Right. On the other hand, if your systolic is you know 160. Very few doctors would say to you, you know, you, you can do, do without yoga. the drugs. They're yeah. probably going to put you on drugs, yeah. and then what may happen is you suggest if you start the yoga, they can reduce your drug dosage. Right, right. Um, and in some, you know, blood pressure is very individualized. You're going to, I mean, I've had some people in my study who reduced their blood pressure 20 or 30 points. Whoa. And those people can get off drugs. Uh-huh. I mean, when you say that 
that yoga reduces blood pressure by 5 millimeters or 10 or whatever, that's an average across people. And right. it's highly variable across people. So right. some people, if they do yoga, might, in fact, be able to get off drugs, even if it's very high. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. that's awesome. And just so that people listening who maybe aren't in the medical field, when, when we talk about systolic blood pressure, um, that's the number on the top. That's the number on the top. Just so that that's, people know, like, that's the number that's right, on the that's top. That's right, that's right. There's systolic. I mean, everybody's familiar, you know, oh, the ideal blood pressure is 120 over 80. That yeah. top number represents the pressure in your vessels when the heart is squeezing out the blood. Mm-hmm. And the bottom number represents the pressure in your vessels when the heart is relaxing and it's uh, and not pushing against the vessels. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. systolic and diastolic. Yeah, yeah. Just so that so that people yeah. know as we're we're kind of going through this, what we're talking about here. And on that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to continue this um, after these messages. So everybody, stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour. Hour, at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Dr. Marshall Hagens. He is a physical therapist, researcher, and professor at Long Island University Brooklyn campus in their physical therapy department. And again, if anyone has any questions, you can call in toll-free at 877-480-4120. And we're talking about... um, a lot of his primary current research, which is focusing on the effects of yoga on blood pressure. So, Marshall, was there anything in your 
in the the time that you were doing your research that surprised you or that you know you you found something maybe you weren't expecting to find um I, you know, unfortunately, I guess I would say no. <laughs> That's unfortunate. It's always nice to find things that surprise you. Uh-huh. I expected I expected yoga to uh, lower blood pressure, and we did, in fact, find that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's uh, a good thing. So your research supported your hypothesis. Right, right. Right, which is, I mean, there's not, I guess there's, I'm sure you've done research where it did not support your hypothesis, and then yes, you kind of exactly. have to go back to the drawing board. Surprising in a bad way, right? Yeah, surprising in a bad way, which is, you know, not great. Um, so, you know, we now know that, you know, through, and, and I'm sure more research needs to be done in this area as... Yeah, I hope so, because even though, even though I'm, I'm speaking with relative confidence that yoga lowers blood pressure, mm-hmm. as I said, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because the, the prior studies were not so fabulous. The, yeah. the recent study I completed only had 68 people. You know, you divide that into two groups. Mm-hmm. So the, even that is a fairly small study. I mean, what needs to be done now is, you know, we need to have a couple hundred people in a right. study. Right, right, right. And, and we also need to figure out uh, what aspects of yoga you know, really are the magic parts. What are the mm. things? Is it is it the breathing? Is it the meditation? Is it the posture? Is it mm-hmm. some synthesis of the three things? Does it matter if you break those things apart or add them together? Interesting. And what about, you know, studying people from different parts of the world? You know, it, is, right. is someone from, from the United States or from even from New York going to have di- a different outcome than someone that lives in Sweden or in... India or something, you know? Well, you're exactly right, because there's, there are many, many theories about why people have high blood pressure. One, one theory, and this has been a, particularly associated with African Americans, is that the level of daily stress that you experience, and there's, some people believe there's a differential stress that African Americans feel relative to uh, Caucasians mm-hmm. in society. So, you know, perception of, of danger alerts the nervous system, which cranks up the heart, which, which tightens the vessels. Sure. And these, if you experience this on a daily basis, that in itself can increase your blood pressure. Sure. So you're right, people in different regions and, and also diets in different regions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what about age? What about the studies of yoga on, on children or teens or, you know, versus on adults? Yeah, I mean, because, because high blood pressure is a disease primarily of older people, there's virtually no studies looking at high blood pressure, effects of yoga on high blood pressure in children. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of studies on children relative to things like, um, you know, physical attributes, ability to balance or stretch, mm-hmm. you know, physical fitness kinds of things, mm-hmm. or ability to focus, mental clarity, um, do they feel that they have less stress in their lives after taking yoga? And mm-hmm. almost all of those those things, yoga has been shown, at least in these preliminary studies, to be effective. Mm. And you know, I think it, w- it would be interesting to even do like a long, like a sort of a a long term study if you can get kids who maybe start practicing yoga as teens, and how do they compare to people who have never practiced yoga by the time they're forty? That would be ideal and lovely. Yes, yeah, so in, in an <laughs> ideal world, costly, that would be right. amazing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. In fact, there's the University of uh, Virginia in Charlottesville has a, a Center for Contemplative Studies, uh, which is um, 
starting to do large-scale studies of children. There's a current study now in California where they have several hundred kids involved, mm-hmm. and, it's, and um, it's going to be coming to New York soon, uh, perhaps uh, out to the Rockaways. And they're going to look at several hundred kids across several schools. So this, this research is going on. Mm, that, that's awesome. Um, and now, you know, another... Like like I said when I kind of introduced you, your a lot of your past research and and we sort of t- touched on it a little bit in the first segment has been sort of breath control and and you know I feel like research into yoga because it has that breathing component to it your research just sort of flows very nicely. Right. Um, so let's just speak about breath control for a moment and some of your your uh, research uh, into that. So like why should why should people care about breath control? Why is it important? Do you know what I mean? Like what? Because like you said, we breathe without. It's not like we have to think every moment of every day. Breathe in, breathe out. You know. Right. So well, why is that it, become I guess important? It's the equivalent to asking the question: Why do people need to worry about their posture? They just have a posture, don't they? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I, yeah. I guess it, the question is: You know, if your breathing is full and balanced and good throughout your body, and it's providing you with enough oxygen and it uses all of the parts of your lungs, and it is responsive to situational demands, then you probably don't need to think about your breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but very few of us fall into that in the same way with posture. Right. You know, it's like, well, how many of us need to think about our posture? Almost all of us. Yeah. Unless we're doing something on a regular basis uh, for pleasure or, or intent, you know, that, that kind of keeps us on the... Uh, on a better basis. Um, so I, I guess I see breath control in a couple different ways. One is a yogic practice where you're doing specific kinds of breathing. It can provide you with um, a mental focus, mm-hmm. clarity. It can increase your energy, your sort of psychic energy, and, your, and increase your resilience. If you may have noticed that, that whenever you get... Um, reactive to something, if something upsets you, you know, whether you're crying or laughing, mm-hmm. or simply watching a scary movie, the very first thing that gets affected is your breathing. Mm-hmm. And there is this idea that the mind is sort of traveling on the river of the breath constantly. And many people, conscious of it or not, are probably their thought processes are very lined up with their breath. And that's why when yoga attempts to alter your mental process and Mm. make you become more mindful, they often use the breath. Mm -hmm. And so simply watching your own breath is a fantastic exercise to watching yourself or watching your own mind. So from that perspective, I think just as a a, a philosophy and practice, in yoga at least, I think that's why it has a bunch of... uh, richness and benefits to it. Mm-hmm. And the other part of my research, yeah. which had to do with, um, you know, it was really just simply biomechanical. It had yeah. to do with how do people breathe when they lift objects and that sort of thing. It's much more, uh, you know, has no philosophy, philosophy it's to it. It's not quite as deep. Yeah, well, just mechanical. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, because when a lot of people go to lift something heavy, like you said before, they'll sort of hold their breath and it's like, huh! And, and then they try and really live something. So yeah. in, in your research, good or bad, like how does that affect the low back mechanics? How does yeah. that affect well, the my, rib my cage? Well, my research didn't answer the question good or bad. It, it answered the question, do people do that? Mm-hmm. And do people take in what, what we found was that, yes, in fact, breathing is absolutely related to lifting. People take, not only do they hold their breath with heavier loads, they, they take in more breath 
based on how much, how heavy the thing is you're lifting. Mm. So at the bottom level, if you're lifting something light, and this is kind of common sense. I think if you ask people, you know, what they thought about this, uh, all we did was kind of go out and prove it. If you're lifting something light, you know, a lot of times your breath will not vary. Mm-hmm. And the heavier it gets, the more it varies the breath. And the, the, when something starts to get really heavy, uh, you take in more air, you inspire, and then lift it. And when it gets really heavy, you take in air and close your glottis and provide this rigid intra-abdominal pressure bubble mm-hmm. that you operate around. Mm-hmm. Is it good or bad? I would say that uh, you know, most PTs, uh, a lot of PTs listen to the show, we know that a Valsalva, mm-hmm. where you take in air, close the glottis, and squeeze down, yeah. is not a great thing. Right. But honestly, it's only a bad thing if you prolong it. <laughs> you know, if you're... Because what you're doing is uh, you're increasing thoracic pressure. You're closing down the venous cava, mm-hmm. and so blood can't get to the heart. Blood can't get, therefore, out of the heart. So people mm-hmm. faint. You know, there are these oh, famous episodes yeah, yeah, of people sure. lifting heavy weights and fainting and, and the bar coming down on them. Yeah, yeah. So prolonged Valsalva is bad, but I would suggest that brief Valsalva is a naturally occurring thing, and as mm-hmm. long as it, in fact, stays brief, it's probably helpful. Now, a couple of months ago, I was out. I went out to Portland for a continuing education course with Paul Hodges and Lorimer Mosley, mm-hmm. and I feel like there were parts of Paul Hodges' uh, presentations, and and I don't know. You, you may know this better than I do, but that he was also kind of looking at breath control with different movements and how it affects sort of biomechanically what's going on, and and. It, and sort of motor control-wise, what's going on, especially in people with back injuries or back pain? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's a friend of mine. He's, he's come here to LIU and mm-hmm. given talks for us and stayed with me. He's a, he's a great guy, and he's absolutely, uh, as, as you know, and most of your listeners who are physical therapists will mm-hmm. know, he's uh, one of the great researchers who looked at the, initially the transverse abdominis and how this whole thing is happening. Right. Now we're looking at not only a diaphragm, but we're also looking at pelvis floor. And right, So right. it's really expanded. But, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the the course that we were at out in Portland was, it was for sort of the women's health section, so it was supposed to be like pelvic floor kind of stuff. I think at, at points it sort of veered from that. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I just thought that really looking at that intra-abdominal pressure and how that can, the how it can affect, you know, the the rib cage or the rings, however you want to call it, um, and, and low back was very interesting and, and not something that I think I thought a whole lot about. Even right, I in think an the prevailing thought now is, you know, you see basically the abdominal, it's a contained thing. At mm-hmm. the bottom you have the pelvic floor, at the top the diaphragm, and around the sides, initially the transverse abdominis, then the other, the obliques, mm-hmm. etc. And so clearly if you try to pressurize that and any one of those walls is de- deficient in any way, right. you, not only can you not uh, pressurize it, but you might hurt yourself. Right. So you have people who have pelvic floor weakness who, who try to do a Valsalva, and what they do is they distend their pelvic floor through yeah. their pelvis. In yeah, bad it's ways. no good. Yeah. You know, or um, they have uh, hernias in their abdominal wall and that sort of thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, not, not to kind of veer off of, of what you were doing with your, your research, but, you know, I just thought that that was an interesting tie-in and, and kind of a good way. And, and the way that you just explained that whole, you know, abdominal cavity was great. And I think it's a good way as a physical therapist, if someone is coming 
to see you and maybe they have deficiencies in any one of these areas, it's something that maybe we can focus on treating in order to, to help with some of their maybe painful conditions, whether it be pelvic, pelvic floor, or low back. Absolutely. I mean, I, I really have no doubt from a clinical perspective in dealing with a lot of people, but there's also some evidence out there. I think Paul has actually done an uh, epidemiological study where he's shown that one of the best predictors of low back pain is a breathing status. Mm. So, yeah, I do think that breathing deficits are often related to low back pain. I, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So that when, when you get a patient in, to be able to, you know, can they effectively... Um, compressor abdominal contents, uh, you know, this is core training. I mean, it's, it's the rage to some degree, but right, I think the, well, the, yeah, yeah. the piece that, that people forget probably the most is the pelvis. A lot of people, when they go to um, do core training, they're actually blowing out their pelvis rather than lifting it up. That's often a problem. Interesting. Okay, let's, I, we'll talk about that. But um, everyone, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll, we'll, talk, we'll finish up that in the next segment. So everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, joined today by Dr. Marshall Haggins. He's a physical therapist uh, and professor at LIU Brooklyn campus here in New York City. Um, so, Marshall, over it, it, during the commercial break, we actually had um, an interesting question here. Um, and that is, is it the, sort of the chicken or the egg thing? If someone comes in and they're having, let's just say, low back pain or pelvis pain, something like that. And 
is it because so I guess the question was does poor breath control contribute to the pain or does the pain contribute to poor breath control and from a clinical standpoint from a physical therapy standpoint how do you get to to that how do you sort of go at that patient yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. It's the same, it's the same question when someone comes in with a, um, a shoulder pattern that you know is dysfunctional mm-hmm. and they're in pain. You know, well, did they get the pain and then they started moving differently or did they move differently and then the pain started? Mm-hmm. It's the same question. And yeah. from, a clin- from a clinical perspective, I'm not sure that it, it, matters, it matters too much mm-hmm. because you're going to... What you're going to do is treat the tissue that's damaged in some way, right. with modalities, whatever you need to do. But you're basically going to be uh, doing motor control retraining mm-hmm. and trying to change the pattern. And most of us cross our fingers and hope that once the patient is moving efficiently or better, however you want to define that, that the pain will go away over time. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a good question. I, I guess in my gut, I would, um, I would say most of the time, well, actually, I don't even know when I really think about it. Does breath control precede low back pain? I suppose it could in some cases. Mm-hmm. But many people, I think, in fact, do minor strains to their back, and that leads them to not breathe well or mm-hmm. to move poorly. I guess right. that would be that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that, you know, because you have this pain, you're altering your movement patterns. You may be altering your postures. If you have those altered movement patterns or postures, perhaps you're not using your diaphragm efficiently. Like you said before, you know, uh, perhaps, and you've been training your core, quote unquote, on your own and, and sort of blowing through your pelvic floor, right? you know, because people forget that they have a pelvic floor. Not that they forget, they don't know. They don't know. They don't feel it. And yeah. also you get people nowadays, core is such a big thing and everybody's teaching it. I mean, I've had several patients that come in and they're, they're doing core work. A lot of it. And in fact, you know, it's those global muscles, the rectus abdominis, mm-hmm. and they have no uh, local muscles, and that's the problem. Right, yeah. right. So it's sort of, you know, training so much with, I, I'm just going to say, for example, um, crunches or oblique type crunches versus really doing some finite control of that transverse abdominis muscle, of really f- learning how to control your pelvic floor muscles. And I've had guests on here talking about how to strengthen your pelvic floor up the wazoo, I think. Um, yep. But, you know, I think that when, when people talk about core, they just think about the muscle, the six-pack. Right. Sort of the muscle that you can see and forgetting about those underlying muscles that are really doing a lot of work. Right. You know, I think the thing is also, although most of us over the last 15 years have been in physical therapy, have jumped on the bandwagon of the transverse abdominis, and I do think it's legitimate and appropriate, but even some of the, you know, the Australian researchers who sort of pushed that in the beginning are having a more nuanced view yeah. of this and thinking, thinking and speaking about it, including Paul Hodges yeah. in a more nuanced way, where he talks about appropriate levels of coordination. Um, it's been even though I believe from a clinical standpoint and, and from the research that, you know, firing the transverse first is, is for the most part the right thing to do, mm-hmm. they've been hard-pressed to show that that style of training actually prevents low back pain or um, rehabs people faster than mm-hmm. other kinds of, uh, of training. Yeah, and, and that was something that he actually did point out at this course in Portland was that, you know, because he started talking about transverse abdominus muscle and, and things like that and, and core training. And he's like, listen, 
I know that it's important, but know that it's not the only thing that needs to be done. And, and that, you know, just doing, just having a stronger transverse abdominis does not eliminate back pain. Right. You know, and that was something that he was, you know, very, very open about and really pointed out on the first day. And yeah, no, like, he's sort of the father of that. Yeah. He's, he's not an abandoned child, but he, <laughs> he, realizes, he realizes the limits of that. You know, Stuart McGill, mm-hmm. uh, and he kind of go at this a bit, and Stuart McGill has a, a different sort of concept, which is you need all the muscles uh, around the trunk and, and sort of thinks about it more of a compressive strategy. Mm-hmm. So even the global muscles squeezing directly down from the rib cage to the pelvis mm-hmm. can increase stability. Mm-hmm. And that's true mechanically. It is yeah. true. Yeah, 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 I would agree. Now, not to get off on, on a tangent, because we only have a couple of, of minutes here, but the, the research that Stuart McGill does on these subjects, are these in cadaver studies, or is he doing sort of real-life people studies? Or, no, you're right. I, know I, a mean, lot I, of I haven't cadavers. looked at that literature in the last, say, five years before yeah. that. I was fairly open. But prior to that, most of these were modeling studies. Yeah, he had, yeah. uh, like, a very sophisticated... Uh, computerized model yeah. that he was running this on. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's get getting back to let's getting back to you here. So let's say someone here wants to get in touch with you. What is the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably via email, and it's uh, mhagens at liu dot edu. M h a g i n as in Nancy, S as in Sam at LIU for Long Island University, uh-huh. liu.edu. Edu. Great. And, you know, what sort of stuff do you have coming up? What, what are your sort of most recent research, and what are you hoping to do, let's say, in the next year or so? What can we expect? Well, right now I'm trying to take the, the results that I just got on the 68 people and try to spin that into a much larger project, as I said, where mm-hmm. we have, you know, maybe a few hundred, mm-hmm. and trying to piece out, I mean, ideally what I would like to do is to piece out the various components of yoga. So maybe you have a four-group study where you said, oh, they're going to get, you know, breathing, they're going to get meditation, they're mm-hmm. going to get, you know, physical yoga, mm-hmm. and they're going to yeah. get everything combined, or maybe an exercise group, and compare that and try to see which components of yoga bring you the best, you know, results. That's what I'd like to do. So I'm going to be writing a, a grant to NIH in the next year. That's actually mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Great. And, and, you know, just so that people have an idea of, you know, from beginning to end, so you start, you write your grant to a completion of a study to then, if you're lucky, having it uh, published. What, What is the time frame there? Really, and I know it really varies. long. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. Unlike the, the the lovely thing that happens in the clinic, where you go in, you treat somebody. You, talk, you know, many times they feel better. Yeah. You know, there's this media research is like glacier slowness. Yeah. So if I write a grant today, let's say I deposit it today, it'll be a year or nine months to a year before I hear if it's funded. Mm. Okay. And then typically the implementation will be two years minimum, if not three or four, if you do a big R01 grant. And, the, and so you're talking about a five-year process. So it's... Uh, wow. Yeah, uh, it's, it's timely. And because and, I just wanted to, people to get an idea of, of the amount of work that goes into the, into the kind of stuff that you do. And that, you know, the, these, this is not an easy thing. And, and then, then even after you go through all that, you might not even get published. 
Well, that's true. Although I must say, though, if you're if you're getting funded from the government, you're, you're doing published. research at yeah. that level, you're, yeah. you're going to get published, or yeah. you've done something terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah. If you're if you're not funded and you're sort of winging this on your own, which m- many of us do, particularly uh-huh. those in physical therapy who yeah. mostly are teachers yeah. in, 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 in universities, and we're trying to, you know, that research might be a little harder to get published because it hasn't been vetted as many times along right. the way. Right. That's true. And and just so if people if they wanted to see uh, a list of of all the research you've done, um, where can they find that? Well, ideally, it would be on the LIU website, but yeah. we're reworking that at the moment. If people want to see that, send me an email, and I'll shoot okay. you either a list and or if you want to see any particular publications, I'll just send those to you. I'm happy to do that. Great. Well, you know, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about all of your research. And, you know, I really, I hopefully, maybe I can get you and Evangelos. So Evangelos Pappas was on before. Um, hopefully, I can get you guys on, and we can talk about some of the research that you're doing into the, with the dance community. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And next week, um, continuing the yoga talk, I will have Dusty Ann Miller. She's also a physical therapist. And she uh, is doing a lot. She does yoga for sort of pelvic floor and pelvic health, mainly for women. So uh, be sure to tune into that. And in the meantime, everybody stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We We are are certified certified mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology 
over-intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower radio program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. TalkingAlternative.com 